Welcome to the Path Earth Matters podcast, a podcast which puts a brand and consumer lens on all things people, planet and profit. Join us as we chat with leading thinkers, creators, makers, movers and shakers in the world of all things sustainable. So today we are talking with Tim Bousfield. He is a creative director at Path. Tim has been in design for a few years. <laughs> and, um, How delicately put. <laughs> and um, we're really interested to talk to him today about sustainability from his perspective as somebody who's just, I think, just touching the boomer category, but also as someone who has worked in packaging design and graphic design for a period of time and to see how things have changed for the good or the bad and um, and his viewpoints. So hello, Tim. Welcome to our team chat. Hi, Susie. Nice to be here. First question I'd like to ask you is about, we're going to go back a little bit, a period of time, and about sustainability. And when you were growing up, was this, was sustainability on the environment something that was spoken about, something that was on the agenda? And how is it different? How is the conversation different then to how it is now? Okay. Um, well, you mentioned a minute ago that I'd probably just just inside the baby boomer category. I was born in 64, so I was, as a kid, I was a product of the 70s. That's when my kind of brain engaged and began to understand what the world was about. And so I was six when, when we turned 1970. Um, so my memory of, I mean, sustainability as a word, I mean, apart from the fact that I was six years old, it wasn't in my lexicon anyway, but... It wasn't spoken of. It, from, in terms of my personal experience, it was just non-existent. There was no talk of it whatsoever. Everything was going to last forever. Um, everything was discarded. Um, you know, there was one bin. Uh, the notion of recycling was, was just completely a world away. Um, so it, it just wasn't on our radar. And, you know, the glass went in the bin, the paper went in the bin, the, the potato peelings went in the bin. Um, so in terms of our household, um, recycling and sustainability and any kind of uh, worthy kind of endeavours in that respect were just non-existent. Um, and as a kid, I obviously absorbed limited news. So, you know, but as far as I recall, there was nothing in the news, nothing in the media. So it meant very little, but I guess ironically, it was also an age when um, processed products, processed foods were arriving. When I was a kid, supermarkets were still small. They were definitely there because supermarkets being a product of the 60s and late 50s in the States uh, had, were on the radar, but um, they were still relatively infant in the UK. Like Tesco's was probably the size, a large Tesco's when I was a kid was probably the size of the Tesco Metro is now. So the, 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 the kind of the processed age and, and the age of, you know, 30,000 SKUs in any, any given supermarket was, was some way off. Um, and milk was delivered by the milkman in bottles that were, were, were um, returned. Bread was bought from bakers who, put, if you're lucky, put a bread in a, in a bag. But my mother would go shopping with a basket in her hand and, and come walk back home with a basket full of, of, of eggs and, and, you know, what have you. And then as the 70s kicked in, processed food arrived and, you know, for all its faults, you know, it was, it was regarded as a rather fine thing, ready meals in this kind of modern age and they were the antidote to the 
drudge of, of, of you know, scratch cooking. So I suppose in, in asking your question, sustainability recycling um, was absolutely not on my horizon in any way. It's not that people didn't care about it, it's just it wasn't in the, in the ether for us to care about. So that, that's my enduring memories of the 70s, you know, limited produce, but ironically, you know, the milkman and baker and, and, and the sources of our food were actually, in terms of their process, far more sustainable than they, one might argue now you know, in an age of, of milk delivered in PET bottles. I think that's, it's incredible, this idea of um, actually in the past, the way that we used to do things ironically, is actually more sustainable, even though we think that this awareness and everything is something of the modern age and of our generation, and I'm doing inverted commas uh, around our, um, actually, the way you were brought up in some ways, some of the behaviours are more sustainable to begin with. If you were kind of to try and mark a turning point, a pivotal moment, maybe later on in life, where sustainability as we know it today became a thing could you could you do that is there a moment in time when you were like okay it's back on the agenda yeah yeah i i can't really plot out a, a kind of a eureka this is our new day moment i do remember uh when i started working um i started working god dreadful thought ancient um i started working in 89 i was a college from 86 to 89 and I started working. In 1991 we were working for Interbrew, um, which is now AB InBev, um, working Starartois beer and there was a big kerfuffle because the head office brewery said that actually we've got to redesign, we had to redesign the bottle without a foil cap. Um, so you, you may recall, you know, not that long ago, many, many continental beers um, had kind of foil over the top. Um, and there was this kind of story that apparently it was bad for the environment. Apparently these baddies who were producing this foil were kicking out um, waste products into the rivers of Europe and it was, a, it was not a good idea. Um, and it was just this weird fact that floated around um, and nobody really took any notice of it, really. But it was part of the briefing with, with Stella. We just, we just went with it and we designed to a paper net label. Um, but it was some, it was considerably after that, really, I suppose, maybe, I'm trying to think, um, probably no more than 15 years ago for me. I mean, I, 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 I half for me arrived in 2005. Um, and there was a little bit of talk about sustainability and doing the right thing for the environment, um, but not a lot, to be honest. Um, and as you know, path. Represent the graphic branding function in part, but you know the product designers and the structural designers in our in our business have a huge amount of knowledge in this respect. But even for them, it wasn't big on the horizon. Prior to that, um, prior to two thousand and five, the late latter part of twentieth century, um, very little talk of it. And I suppose it uh, it it arrived in our midst. Um, to some extent, when clients began to decide that within their business it was an agenda, and I'm, I have to assume that the reason it got on their agenda was not because they suddenly woke up and were worthy human beings, woke up and, and legislation, potential legislation, arrived on their radars, um, and you know, governments were going to pull their strings and say, you know, they're going to 
limit their kind of outputs and, and the way they worked. Um, and, you know, one of the many things that kind of influences activity in our design world is legislation. Um, yeah, I'm guessing it's the legislation from government downwards influencing clients and then the trickle-down effect to their suppliers and people like me as designers. Yeah, so I think it's fair to say that brands historically have been more reactive rather than proactive when it comes to the sustainability agenda, do you think? Is that, um, is that something you think? I, I think so. I, I agree. I, I think that's a fair assumption. And I think, you know, whether we like it or not, brands are businesses and businesses' prime objective is to remain in business. And that's about chasing profit. And sometimes profit uh, trumps um, ethics or often profit trumps ethics. Do you think that's changing i think i know unilever have really put a real push on they're sort of they're, un, they're putting less funding into brands that are less sustainable or do you think that's sort of lip service to the a bit of greenwashing it's a really good question and i i i can only guess at the answer i think meaningfully it is beginning to change if you'd asked me that five ten years ago i would use the word greenwash and I would have been rather cynical about things but I think the people who are running these bigger organisations are part of a generation um, that uh, for uh, for whom sustainability actually really does mean something um, um, and uh, as a 57 year old you know I've had to pivot and modify my approach to things in, in my endeavour to, to, to adopt the right attitude but I think that's not the case for, for a 30-something, you know, that's the, you know, a 30-something individual. It, it's it's hardwired in, into them in a good way, I think. Um, and I think those people are now attaining positions of meaningful power in, in brand groups and um, product organisations. So I, I think I'm, I'm less cynical now than I, I used to be, and I think... Um, People are beginning to mean it because it's getting this. Forgive my phrase, but this 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 shit. <laughs> you you mentioned this idea of like the pivot and um, how you have had this kind of change, uh, this moment where you started to change things. And we've spoken a lot about what that has uh, what that has meant in your professional life, because obviously as a designer, you're kind of even more exposed to this idea of materials and sustainability in that sense. But how about in your day to day life when it's Tim B at home on a regular day. Are there any things that you or, or, or your family or your friends you've noticed that you've started doing more of? I, I would say my experience has fallen into three parts. The first part, as described 10 minutes ago, you know, a world where I was completely oblivious to the notion of, of sustainability and recycling uh, and all, all, all those good things. And then a period, if I'm really honest, of deep cynicism where I would, when nobody's looking, hurl a glass bottle into the bin and not care. Because the bin is just this <laughs> handy thing and it go, the stuff inside goes away and it never and, and it never comes back to bites in the behind. And then after, a, yeah, probably too long a period of ad adopting that approach, being rather smug and cynical and, you know, come on, realising that actually it's meaningful and... Also, I suppose the upside of having kids around here, I've got two sons um, who are now 17 and 21, 
But you know, I've been battered by those, by those guys educating me and pushing me to be better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no there's no um, shortage of critique in, in our house relating to my activities. <laughs> um, that's 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 just the condition of a parent and, and teenager, I guess. But I, I am now um, I, I can't bear to throw anything in regular the old fashioned rubbish bin uh, that I haven't properly considered uh, that I could take out. So um, I just, look, I, I, I'm really, really, I, I separate uh, packaging into plastics and card. You know, I read the back of Tetra Packs to see if I can get a Tetra Pack into the recycling uh, or whether I, I, you know, and if I can't and I put it in the regular bin, I think there's, a, there's an unease to it. It's, it's like when, you, you know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But, you know, when... On those occasions when I forget to take a bag in the supermarket and I have to spend 10p on a, on a, a carrier bag, it costs us nothing. And yet I hate the idea of picking up a carrier bag now. And it's relatively, re- really very recently that we were just kind of dragging jars of plastic home and just stuffing it in bins and not caring. Certainly not perfect, that's for sure. Um, but I'm in a better place ethically now, I, I think, really interesting to hear that you've been influenced and and pushed by your sons into being more sustainable but are there any other influences in such as uh, tv or documentaries that have pushed you into a sort of more sustainable thinking and and habits yeah sure i mean you won't be remotely surprised to hear that i like many many other people have been influenced by shows like david attenborough um highlighting the the islands of plastic in the Pacific, um, you know, the facts that we hear every day of football fields of Amazon disappearing to loggers and, um, you know, and and the corresponding influences on our carbon footprint. So, yeah, I mean, it's all over the media. And, and Greta Thunberg, you know, um, incredible um, influence on our society and, um, um, so yeah, I mean it's it's very much on my media horizon, and it is now being absorbed in a way that it, it you know uh, it, you know in in the eighties and nineties you had Greenpeace, but Greenpeace were for me then hippies who were lived lived on in the other village on the other side of the hill. They they, they did things differently there, and I didn't really understand it, and they were probably a bit hippie, and um, uh, I didn't take them seriously. And guess what? We really should have done. But yeah, you know, the media power now, those islands of plastic that we've seen on the TV were probably there a decade or so ago, but we hadn't spotted them, we hadn't seen them. They were, they were buried or hidden. So for sure, you know, yeah, the media's cut through into my particular psyche. I have a question that's kind of it's linking you back to, to, to you as a designer. A lot of the time when you talk about sustainability, you hear things like, we can't do this, don't use the plastic, don't use that material, don't use that much of something, source things in a certain way. So there's a lot of don'ts. Do you, have you ever found that actually working in sustainability is a limit to you as a designer, you as a creative? Do you ever get a sense of that? Never, never, ever. I'll tell you why, because I, it, I think it's a proven fact, and certainly the way the, the kind of maxim I live by, that, that constraints are liberators, that it's the, it's the holes that we fall into that incline us to invent and design ladders so that we can get out of them. So design is 
only ever a response to anything. And adversity is one of the best fuelers of responses. So I was apparently these things represent constraints and aren't constraints constraining. Well, no, they're not for me because uh, constraints are liberators because they, they act as focusing mediums for, for a brief. They, they clarify the problem. You know, design can only ever exist in the context of a problem. So bring on the problems um, and bring on, bring on the pains and the adversities. And, and, and that's where design, that's, you know, it, I, it's been, I've heard it said that design Art poses questions and design answers them. And design for the sake of itself, in my opinion, is actually, in fact, art. And it's question asking, but design in its pure form is, is, is problem solving. So, you know, constraints and block, roadblocks. You know, if you see, the theory is if you see a roadblock, you, you learn how to invent a steering wheel to go around it, or you invent a pole vault to get over it, or, or a shovel to dig yourself under it. And I, lo- I love this idea of constraints being almost allow you to be more creative because it gives you a problem that you therefore need to solve. I think that's amazing. Do you think that as uh, designers and brands, do you think we could work together to, to solve these problems more? Do you think we're doing en- enough? Surely the answer is no, we're not doing enough because problems remain. We're still burning down forests and we're still... We're still filling the seeds for the plastic. Um, what I do know is it's incredibly complex, and I know authority on sustainability and recycling. I, I do know design. I do know about the, the application of design to a problem. But what I do, that which I do know of the problem is that it's extremely complex. So, for instance, you know, you turn your nose up at one, might turn one's nose up at processed food because it, it, the use of plastic source hermetically sealed plastics and use of preservatives. But actually, if food lasts longer, then there's less spoiling of food. Um, and I'm willing to bet, that, you know, half a century ago, a lot of food was spoiled and went to waste and, and wasn't consumed. So, you know, on one side of the coin, you know, what, what is apparently a baddie in the context of sustainability and being green is it can sometimes be anything but. We must use card over plastic at all times. Well, if card doesn't protect our food as well as plastic, then there's wastage. So, you know, a more coherent answer you'll get from something from an expert. But I, I, what I do know is it's way more complex, and we're still, as a society, in my view, uh, seeking to understand it. Okay, Tim, project yourself into the future. You've been vaccinated. Pubs are open. You can do anything you want and you're allowed to take anyone, dead, alive, real, fictional, whoever you want, to the pub for a drink, uh, to chat about life over a pint or two, and maybe also to discuss the state of the world, post-pandemic, sustainability, everything that's happened. Who, who would you take and why? Impossible. Oh, my God. Um, Thinking hard, scratching your head. It would have to be somebody contentious, I think, like Donald Trump. It would have to be someone who I wouldn't have... I think the agenda of liking that person, you have, you'd have to put aside in favour of the agenda of that person being interesting. And I, I would want to sit down with Donald Trump and, and say, what? What? <laughs> you know, what? 
you know, find really get behind, you know. People used to say Adolf Hitler, didn't they? To be very contentious, you know, and they, they'd use the opportunity to kind of put a bag over his head. Um, but I, I think it would be the kind of the, the worthy theoretical answer would be somebody like that to find out exactly where they're coming from, because something like that you can't ignore because they've got um, seven, 17 million Americans think he's a good idea. Um, and 70 million Americans don't think he's a good idea. So I would want to get behind him to find out what he's about. Appalling as he is, hideous as he is on, on just about every um, measure that you can use. It's horrendous. Um, yeah, so that's kind of an answer. But, you know, it's one of those questions that you, um, on the stairs on the way out of the building, you think, oh, I wish I'd said so. Oh, no, I wish I'd said something else. But there's dozens of and I think we've got time for one more question. When we're out of the corona tunnel, what are you most looking forward to doing? Apart from Donald Trump. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, just a trip on a bus would do me at this point. But no, travel. Um, I, I think what well, I'm not alone in this. I don't know you guys and colleagues in the business are saying, you know, just moving around the world because that's one of the joys that I. I've been lucky enough to have in my life. Um, I've been very fortunate. I've travelled a lot in all sorts of places. And um, being, you know, in prison, in an open prison, as it were, in a luxury environment, you know, you know, as we are, effectively, it sent us all, all a bit um, screwy. And so, yeah, just jumping on a plane and going, seeing the world, because... Um, yeah, it's, it's taught me, without getting all too into this and hippie, it's taught me that actually owning stuff and experiencing stuff, of the two, experiencing stuff is, is where it's at. I'm, 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 great, I'm now a great believer in streaming in life rather than owning it. So I don't want a big house and a car. And, and well, I would not turn those things away. I, I don't want to get stuff. I want to be stuff. So I, I, on my bucket list, I really, really want to go to Japan. I've never been there, and I just want to get out and look at the and visit the block printers of ancient Japan and listen to jazz in your lead and all that good stuff. Ah, oh, yes, the dream. Thank you for listening to this episode of Earth Matters from Path. Stay up to date on everything Earth Matters at wearepath.com forward slash earth hyphen matters. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. And for more ideas, inspiration and future thinking, check out our trends reports and thought pieces on wearepath.com forward slash thinking. Thanks for joining us.